I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and my feet are cold. Hey, I'm Gabe Dunn. I'm a writer, bi-con, bisexual icon. And please donate to my movie. Please. <laughs> please. The strike is over. Oh, my God. I didn't say wink. Uh-oh. The people will complain. Oh, no. Look at this photo of me as a baby. You have full head of hair. <laughs> what the fuck? Are you wearing a wig? <laughs> Are you wearing a toupee? I'm trying to really entice people to head on over to the Patreon to see this photo because it's incredible. You look like you're 45 years old. <laughs> you look like you're like a, you look like it's the 60s and you're like a teacher. I look like I've just like the weight of the world is on my head. Why do you why are you wearing a hair helmet? Why is my head so big? Well, you literally look it, this looks like a picture from the <laughs> from the 60s of like someone who's like getting married. Oh Why god. do you look a hundred years old? I don't know. Oh my god, that's so terrifying. It's so scary. Wow, that's so that's so nuts. I was born with so much hair. That's a lot of hair. Yeah, I know. Like I had hair, but not like that. Well, all the wor- all the nurses were like, "We've never seen that much hair on a baby," and now I'm very worried because if my kid doesn't have hair, I'll view them as weak. What? <laughs> what? I view baby hair as a sign of strength. Okay, Samson. You are out of your mind. Everyone is everyone here for Allison's silly renaissance? Did you see someone left someone on Reddit said, is it just me or are the TLDR eyes getting funnier now that they're not on a network? And someone wrote, Allison's in her silly era. Yeah, I'm just leading in, baby. And I've, I I think I've mentioned this, but I'm just being, uh, I'm I'm just like doing more weird stuff just like in public too. Okay. <laughs> like I dance at the supermarket if I like the, the oh, song. Oh, I've done that. Yeah. I've done that. I'm dancing a lot more. Yeah. You know, bopping when, about. I'm a, uh, uh, when I am in kickball and I'm out in the outfield, I'm dancing. <laughs> What I'm like in between plays and stuff. I'm sort of doing some little yeah, moves. Yeah, why not? It's nice. Yeah. That was very funny. Like when I went to watch my boyfriend do dodgeball, um, one of his friends, everyone's taking it very seriously. And then one of his friends is just silly dancing in the back. <laughs> and I was like, I like that guy's energy. I just can't get over anyone wanting to play dodgeball. He gets clocked in the head a lot. Right? Like it is like my nightmare because yeah. I have a history of getting hit in the head with with sports balls. You had to say sports balls. I had to say sports balls when I would like walk into a gym. Like I would be pummeled if I tried to play dodgeball. Well, this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous game. And brutal honesty. And if you want to join our Patreon for just $3 a month, please do it. Um, We need money. <laughs> um, I'm going through a heinous divorce. I don't really know what else to say other than I need money for my movie and I need money for my life. And those two things are kept separate. We are we are putting the movie money in a safe place. Don't worry. Is it under your bed? <laughs> yeah, buried <laughs> in the backyard, actually. And every day I dig it up and I put little dollars inside. Um, so thank you to our patrons, Blake, Yurin, Mayel, Jessica, Mackenzie, Mariah. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for being a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash just between us. You can also get our merch at just between us pod.com or Allison Raskin exposed.com. And there's new merch there. Ooh, 
We've got a really wonderful episode. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. We're talking to uh, Jeffrey and Katie Norris all about dementia care. And they are a mother-son duo that I follow on um, Instagram. And they are one of my favorite Instagrams to follow. So you'll hear in the interview, I'm obsessed with them. They're just so delightful. delightful. I love them so much. Yeah. And later, we're going to be sharing some book recommendations. So I hope you came prepared. I have one that I've recommended to so many people and nobody likes it, but we'll try it here. And that's the only thing you brought? I said, please come prepared. I have other ideas. Oh, okay. But I did bring, I didn't bring crowd pleasers. What's the opposite? I brought the opposite of crowd pleasers. Icky. Icky books. Turnoffs. You brought turnoffs. I brought my, I brought books that are real litmus tests. <laughs> okay. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guests, Katie and Jeffrey Norris. So stay tuned. Back to Just Between Us. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you all about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice to text feature. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Right before I found out about this project, my mom made an offhand comment about wanting to write a memoir because she had such a wild childhood and there are all these things she's never really talked to us about. But asking someone to sit down and write a memoir is kind of daunting. So then I got her mylifeinabook.com and now she's getting prompts to answer on a weekly basis and it's a lot easier than just undertaking an entire memoir. I'm so excited to see what my mom does with mylifeinabook.com because she's someone who doesn't always always feel comfortable just sharing about herself, but having these prompts and knowing that I really want to hear her answers is going to inspire her to probably share more with me about her life and her upbringing than I've ever been shared with before. So I'm so excited for that. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code just between us at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code just between us for 10% off today. Hi everyone, Allison here. Anyone who knows me well knows that I love to read. I am always looking for new books and that is why I'm so excited that this episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. Book of the Month's mission is to help readers discover new books they love and to promote the work of emerging authors. It was so fun for me to get to pick which book I wanted to read this month and have it shipped right to my door. Book of the Month makes it easy to decide which book to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles. They pick some of the best new books for you to choose from. All the books are good, so you can't go wrong. Every aspect of the Book of the Month experience is designed to be fun and special for readers. They have a highly anticipated release at the beginning of each month. Books are delivered in this really adorable bright blue box, and there's a fun app to help you pick your book and track your reading process. They also offer great values on new release hardcover fiction. It's much cheaper than other options, shipping is always free, 
And with a loyalty program, you get rewards and even lower prices the longer you stay as a member. My first book from Book of the Month was The Husbands by Holly Gramazio. I am tearing through this book. It is so fun. It's basically about this woman who one day comes home and there's a husband in her apartment and she's like, where did you come from? And then she figures out that every time her new husband goes into the attic, a new husband comes out and she's she's like shuffling through all these different husbands from the attic trying to figure out which one is the best. It is right up my alley and I love it so much. So if you want to take part in book of the month and have a brand new book shipped right to your door every single month, go to bookofthemonth.com and get your first book for $5 with code PEDALS. That's $5 off with code PEDALS. I cannot recommend this enough. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Tough Questions. This week on the show, we have Katie Norris and Jeffrey Norris. Katie is a Unitarian Universalist community minister, AMI Montessori for aging and dementia practitioner, and national board certified health and wellness coach. She's been working in dementia care for 15 years and is the primary author of Creative Connections in Dementia Care. And Jeffrey started out as a live-in child care partner for his grandmother who had Lewy body dementia. And in the past year, he's joined Katie in teaching dementia care. Hello. 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 And they are also <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. They are also the the content creators behind one of my favorite Instagram accounts. Um so that's how I found you guys and then I was just like hooked. <laughs> Uh Thank you. That's so cool. Thank you. So can we kind of start by explaining, you know, what dementia is? Because I think like we throw the term around, but there's probably a lot of different versions of it. Sure. Um, So do you want me to take that? I'm always afraid. I don't want to talk over him because, you know, moms. Yeah. So dementia is just an umbrella term for anything that causes enough of a change in cognition, which isn't only memory, but a lot of times we associate it just with memory loss, but a change in cognition enough to affect your daily life. And a lot of times it does come with memory loss, but there are multiple different types of dementia. So there's my mom had Lewy body dementia, there's vascular dementia, there's Alzheimer's disease. So a lot of times people ask us, what's the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia? And they're essentially the same thing. It's like how there's cancer, but then there's different types of cancer. Alzheimer's is just one form of dementia. Yeah, like my mom said, there's like, there's Alzheimer's with Parkinson's, which is Lewy body dementia. There's frontotemporal dementia, which is when more affects your frontal lobe. It affects like more decision-making, like emotions. Mm -hmm. And it's just, they're all slightly different, but a lot of the same like effects come out of it. Yeah. And can you sort of explain your overall approach to dementia care? Sure. We are Montessori-based dementia care specialists. And that confuses people because people associate Montessori with kids. Yeah. Yeah. But for us... It's about trauma-informed too. Oh, yes. We're... Yeah. Uh, Well, yes, we are also trauma-informed, which we added in, especially from my ministry training and also our life as being care partners and getting a lot of information that was not trauma-informed, which was not great. You know, our approach is very much that we follow the person with dementia. You know, Dr. Montessori was kind of tasked with working with kids where people said that they were unteachable. And, you know, as a female doctor, they at that time uh, were not very happy to have female doctors. So they're like, we'll give her these kids and she'll never be able to teach them. You know, and she found the kids were, what kind of stuff were they doing, Jeffrey? I mean, they were just picking at the floor. They were like banging their heads on the wall. They were just 
but also because they were put in like a really blank room. There's literally yeah. nothing for them to do. Mm-hmm. They were like these kids where like they were just seeking any type of thing to be engaged in. And since they were put with nothing there, then they started doing these random behaviors that people thought were really like bad or like really meant they were unteachable. It was really just Maria Montessori set in place things that they could actually do and that were accessible to them so that they were actually able to learn and not just like unteachable. Yeah. So that's what we say in dementia care. You know, we hear all of these things that dementia comes with these behaviors that are dementia. And we always say they are not just dementia. So the environment matters, how you engage with the person matters. And we don't have to see these behaviors and they aren't really, you know, the disease, if that, you know, makes sense. So that's really the approach that we take is why is a behavior happening? And we never say that it's just because of dementia, because there's always all behaviors for all of us happen because of the way our brain interprets our internal environment and our external environment. And so if we can improve that, we can help people function better. And even with memory impairment. So yeah. that's what we help people So it's do. like the dementia makes it so your brain like interprets things differently. Mm-hmm. But the reason, then the reason the behaviors happen is because of that different interpretation, but also because then we don't adapt to how those people are interpreting their environment. So we just put them in like, like a neurotypical environment mm-hmm. and it's, it doesn't work for them. We see them having these behaviors and we're like, oh, they have dementia. So this is why, but really we can fix most of those behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fascinated by when you say, here's what you should do when somebody is in a fragile state, right? So like one of the videos that I, I, it's hard to say enjoyed, but enjoyed <laughs> was you were uh, saying that someone, should you tell someone with dementia that their significant other has passed away if they talk about them in the present tense. And it was just so kind and so in a way that I would never even think about. So can you explain like how you would approach something very delicate like that? Sure. And actually that one, we got so much pushback on the video series that we did. I saw that and I was like, what is wrong with people? (laughs) That's like when you panic, you're like, oh no. (laughs) But we follow the person and there's this old thing of dementia care is if the person's not there anymore and there's nothing there. So don't tell them because they're just going to forget or don't don't tell them because it's mean because they forgot. But emotional connection lasts in dementia. It's a different type of memory. And some people know that someone has died, but can't verbalize it. And when we ignore their grief, you can actually increase their upset and start to see behaviors. So we always say that you follow the person. Some people, and honestly, most people that I've worked with, um, we do tell them. And I always say it's an option, work with your person. But the, the way that I do it is very specific because we connect their emotional need to feel the emotion of loving that person. And sometimes we do that through a memory book. Sometimes we do that through cooking something that there was their person's favorite food. And then when we're talking about them, if it seems appropriate, we can also tell them that they have died, Mm -hmm. not passed away, not, this is my chaplaincy training. Don't say they're not here anymore. They're somewhere else because it gets very confusing. Then they want to know when they're coming home. So, and that was the other thing, the follow, we want to follow their reality. So if for them, it makes more sense that the person is at work, that's fine. But like what happens when that's not the right fit? Yeah, a lot of times... Like you, it really, cause that's the thing with my church, so individual. 
is we can't look at dementia as like just this one disease. It really is every person has whatever they're struggling mm-hmm. with in it. And so for some people, yeah, like my mom said that saying they're at work works and then it will like calm that like tension or stress that they're feeling. But for some people, it just makes them even more stressed and they're wondering like, when is this person going to come home? They'll ask you at the end of the day, like five o'clock, like, where is my wife, husband, whoever, when are they coming home? And then it will just, it just makes it even worse. And it's just not good. Yeah. So we always say, if you keep seeing, I, I think people think if you stop a behavior for 10 minutes or an hour, that's dementia care. The dementia care we yeah. teach is you are not chasing behaviors like that all the time. They shouldn't keep happening. And if they keep happening, we haven't found out why it's happening and the right support for that person yet. So that's kind of how we base if something's working or not, especially with a situation like that. If they keep asking again and again and again, whatever approach we're using, we probably need to change it for them. Ideally, you would see the behavior once and then you assess, you assess that this person really wants to have a connection with the person who's passed away. So you set up like, recurring activities where they're like looking at memories of them or something. Yeah. Like doing a recipe that they really like, they really liked in the past. So you're set up it beforehand before mm-hmm. this behavior comes up again. Yeah. Yeah. I loved you taking out the memory book for the person and saying, and, and redirecting because you're like, okay, why are they asking this? It's because they miss them. It's because mm-hmm. they were thinking about them and, and shushing that doesn't, fix like the core emotional, which honestly, not just dementia, but like for all therapy. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was like, yeah. you were saying, you know, in the memory book, you would say, Hey, tell me about that dress the person is wearing or what, what day was this that you guys did this? And it gets the the person with dementia thinking about memories. And then once they're in a good space saying, you know, they have died, yeah. but like asking questions and getting them to sort of Look, be happy and look at the pictures. I was like, oh, of course. And like, I, I, the recipe thing makes total sense. Like, because you're saying all they want is to feel emotionally connected to this person yeah. that they miss, but I don't think they would straight up be like, did they die? Right. Yeah. 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 We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. Just between and we're back. What are some of the other behaviors that you often see people just like, you know, blaming dementia on that you think can be avoided? So there's so many. What, yeah, what, what do you think are the ones that are most yeah. common? I guess refusals, uh, refusals of help yeah. and just refusal to do anything. So let's go with refusal for help first. Yeah, refusal for help is a big thing. This is something we see mostly because of how we view getting older in our society, mm-hmm. honestly where people always feel really bad when they need help. And so they refuse it because they think like the longer they push it off, this means that they're some better person, that they don't need help, that they can be more individual. But it really makes the dementia a lot harder. And this is one of the things we try to do the most when we work with people with dementia is trying to reduce this stigma against needing help, where it is okay to ask for help for things. It is okay that your brain might not be working as well as it used to. It's okay that we put in place things to help you. It's okay. There are signs around the house. It's okay if there are little grab bars, you can walk around easier. All these things are okay and good. And we don't want refusals come from that mainly, where sometimes people don't really get, they'll just say, yeah, these people are refusing. But it's really the most common reason is that they feel uncomfortable about asking for help. Right. And that they're going to lose all of their personal agency because that's what we do. You know, people with dementia tell us all the time, 
as the same person yesterday as today when I got my diagnosis, but now everybody's taking everything away from me. And so, you know, none of us want that to happen. And um, so we do a lot of how do you build trust with someone so that they know you are not trying to take away their personal agency. And a lot of Montessori care is always providing as much as much choice and personal agency as possible. And people think that's impossible in dementia and it's really not. And I would say the other thing is then later stage dementia, people refuse to do things. Oh, my loved one won't do an activity. They won't go to bingo at the memory facility or they won't, you know, help me cook at home. That's mostly because of one of two things. One is struggling with task initiation, which um, having ADHD, that is the story of our life. So sometimes we need to guide somebody to start the task and they can do it. We could also use body doubling, you know, mirror neurons where when we watch somebody else, we do the same thing they do is very helpful. The other thing is people start to lose the ability to sequence tasks. Well, that also happens for my brain as well. So knowing the order which you're going to do something, right? And so if like we're going to come on this podcast and if you know, in the email you sent us, it was like, here's how you do it. And here's the link. And here's the things that you do. But if it was just like, you know, nebulous, and there weren't enough steps for me, I would probably panic and be like, oh, I don't think I can do that. And so I'm going to say no. And so a lot of it is exactly how you set up and task break down things for people. Um, because we're asking them to do things and their brain may not be able to visualize either what we're asking them to do or the steps to do it. And so we need to provide that information to fix like that kind of behavior. And so I think those are the two ones that we get asked about a lot. There's also some, you know, aggression and things. Wandering is another one. There's so many. I don't know how many. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wandering is a big one. It mostly comes from the same thing of like, they can't like have task breakdown or can't sequence well. So they don't, they don't feel good to like do an activity. So then they're just, their brain is just not occupied by anything. So they're just really lost. And that is what happens in wandering. They'll, yeah. They're really lost. They just wander around the house looking for something to do. But it's a problem because there's not anything set up that they can do with how their brain is working out. Mm-hmm. They have dementia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So everybody thinks wandering is just happens in dementia. But if we set up the right environment, we just don't. 90% of the time, we can't fix everything. But 90% of the time, we just don't have wandering. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's interesting with a lot of disability, the focus tends to be on the family. Oh, I'm so sad. My mom is not here anymore mentally. She's gone, whatever it is. But I I prefer to focus on the actual person. And so how is that? How does, because it's like, you know what? That's none of my business how these other people feel. Like as a trans person, I'm sort of like, it's none of my business how you feel about grieving me. But like, how is it for for the actual person in the different stages of dementia? Because you mentioned anger. Like, yep. how, how does that work once you're diagnosed? Well, two things. I'm glad you brought that up because we have gotten some pushback that we focus on the person with dementia too much. But that's where I came from. Yeah. Um, what that's is wrong really... with the people commenting on your... <laughs> it's like... I don't know. Just, yeah. People want to center it. themselves so much. Right. Anyway, and I get it because having mental illness and things, it was often centered around my husband and my son, right? Not 
me. And then I went a little too far and centered it too much on me. So like, I mean, it's you know, similar with so. autism, with anything. It's yeah. like, oh, it's like all this stuff about how do the parents take care of it. And it's like, how about we make right. things better for the neurodivergent person? Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Yes. So, so can you go into that a bit with, um, with patients with dementia? Sure. So I would say every person, first of all, is different. My mom was terrified of getting Alzheimer's her whole life. So when she started to have symptoms, she really, really wanted to know. And she went and got all the testing. And it was like a, in a way, a relief to her to have a diagnosis. And her process has been different than like my dad's who has Alzheimer's now. But I would say the first thing is the loss of personal agency. And I can't be myself anymore. People think you are gone. Yeah, they really, yeah. It's really sad. That's like the biggest thing we hear from people is they don't feel like they're really like humans and like people who are there anymore. Mm-hmm. Like this was one thing with my grandma because she always loved doing like family dinners, holidays. But once she got to a stage where she was nonverbal and it, that was for a few, like two, three yeah. years where she was nonverbal. But we had a family gift, uh, a family Thanksgiving or Christmas, but she was sitting there in her chair and she just for one, like out of the blue, she said, I'm still here, which was the first time she had spoken in a very, very mm-hmm. long time. And it was just all shocking for the rest of us because we realized we really weren't noticing that she was there. We, we weren't directing a conversation at her. We mm-hmm. weren't really taking into account that she's having these problems. We were just focusing on ourselves, but we really needed to put some more care into her and make it so that she could be involved still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, their grief process is also an anticipatory grief. Like, yeah. you know, they talk about that for the care partner. Um, which we use care partner instead of caregiver. So the care partner without dementia, they talk about that a lot for us. But, you know, it's a loss of a life that they thought that they would have. And that's an anticipatory grief. And so that is really difficult. And then it there's also a lot of grief around what do my relationships mean anymore? There's a lot of fear. Many people leave people after they get dementia. So there's a lot of fear about, will I be abandoned? That's a whole nother type of grief um, and fear at the same time. And I think that the things that we hear the most are grief around losing your personal agency. And I don't just mean independence. I mean, like, just decision, who you are, your personality. You don't want to be like a shell. Like the idea is like, oh, I'm a shell sitting in a nursing home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people are like, why do you put makeup on your mom? Because she loves it. I, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that, that's who she is. So, and the other thing is there is a grief. There's a large grief around, there's fear and grief around if you have to go to a memory care facility. Um, and there's lots of great ones and there's also lots of problems in some of them, but this is why we're very activities based. People with dementia tell us all the time that they are herded like sheep. Mm. We're all going to go to bingo. We're all going to go to yoga. We're all going to go watch a movie. Most of them, unless they're like super social people that have always kind of liked that kind of stuff. You know, not everybody likes bingo. Not everybody likes a Western movie. Not everybody's from the same generation. And so that's another kind of loss of your personal agency or grief or seeing who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, no one sees you Mm -hmm. and you are just herded like sheep. And that is a, I don't know what type of grief you would call that, but there is a lot of grief around that. And it's very scary for people. I mean, the scary part, like, I think it's also the way that society approaches and the depictions that we see in media, where it's like, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. You should probably just euthanasia. (laughs) Like, yeah, you know, those comments a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like that there's no quality of life 
and I people say, oh, I wouldn't want to live that way. And like all these things, which I don't know. I, I mean, I, I can't speak to like I haven't experienced it. I haven't experienced that fear. But I, I just is that sort of unfounded or is it is it just blown out of proportion? I mean, it's hard to say if it's unfounded because like the reason people say it is real. The things that they see in dementia are people right. being taken care of really badly and losing a lot of their personal agency, really not enjoying the end of their life. So it's real in that way, but doesn't have to be. That's yeah, why that- I love your videos. Thanks. Well, I, so I used to use this tagline that we help people um, with dementia, like live joyfully with dementia. Also got a lot of pushback on that because people are, get very upset if you say you can live with joy and have dementia. Um, but that is really, that's our, our goal. You know, joy doesn't mean you're going to be hundred percent happy all the time. Right. But you can still have a great life even with dementia. And I think that's what we are trying to help people see instead of this other image that then makes you terrified to have dementia. And then also means that people don't seek out how to do dementia care. First of all, because no one tells them there are dementia yeah. care specialists, but also because all you see is that there's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that we can help change that. And I'm so curious about your your word choice of saying care partner instead of caretaker. Can you explain your reasoning behind that? So care partner is something we actually heard from people with dementia that they would prefer us to use because it implies that they're both both people in this caring journey add to the equation. So it's not that one person, we're not caregivers, we're not or caretakers. They both work, but they're also like, you're. it implies that the person with dementia is not adding anything to the relationship, which we know is not true. And it, we're care partners in this. We're all involved in this journey with dementia together. We all add things to the, the relationship and we're all important. I love that. If you want to hear the rest of this episode, and let me tell you, you do, head over to patreon.com slash justbetweenus. And for $3 a month, you can get access to all of our podcast episodes in full ad-free. You can also get merch for this podcast at justbetweenuspod.com or alisonraskinexposed.com. Okay, that's it. Tatala T2. Tatala T2. Just between us.